Warning! This episode contains foul language and discussions of death, dying, religion, and mental illness. to Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, terrifying, paranormal, spiritual, out-of-body, heavenly, hellish, deadly, eerie, and everything in between. Each week we sit down together from across the country and we talk about something weird. Weird. And this week we are continuing the conversation on near-death experiences, or NDEs, the unexplainable moments when a person comes close to their last breath that we just cannot stop researching like we have a problem you guys may need to step in we are bringing you more science more spirituality and more stories from people who believe they may have seen the other side just moments before their physical body brought them back we can't wait to dive into more mysterious near-death phenomenon so let's get right into it my name is lauren and this is my co-host ashley hi weirdos hello welcome back everyone hello hello is the same day for us. <laughs> yep, it is one right after the other, but it's a week later for y'all. I hope life is still treating hope you life kindly. Is still good. Hope we're still here, all of us. Uh, goodness, yes. Every time I get on Twitter, uh, I have a mini freak out because every single day World War Three is trending. I know that like we're kind of moving past that, but like. No, but it's still a scary thing in the back of our minds. Yeah. Y'all, if, if ever there was a time to delete Twitter... <laughs> When it's Elon now. Musk purchases it, <laughs> yeah. it's about time. It's you know, now. it's so weird, and I have to just like do this call out. It always feels like name dropping in a way, except that nobody like really cares because a lot of people kind of talking about your like band, Elon Musk. But yeah, I had band yeah. practice last night for the first time in a while. Like we had not gotten together, so like we're having a nice catch up session, kind of warming back up to each other. It had been a while, but if for anyone who doesn't remember, two of my bandmates are in SpaceX and they're like pretty high up at SpaceX. So I asked one of them, like, hey, what do you think about Elon's news today buying Twitter? And John, our bass player, just casually is like, well, when I was on the phone with him earlier, and I was like, I have to stop you there, because what? I have to stop and you was like, right there. <laughs> they have, like, daily check-ins with each other, because that's how high up he is. So that first, I was just like, I can't believe that you're, like, one of his, like, people in his phone. But anyway, he was like, he claims that he's going to put somebody else in charge, and, like, they'll do the right thing. And, like, he went off on the spiel, like... I mean, it's your boss, like you're gonna try and support him the best you could. But I was like, I tuned out. I just thought it was cool that you guys had a daily phone call, but whatever. <laughs> like, I don't believe that it could go well in any way, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, you know, at this point, I'm just glad that that's the platform that we're like, we're, we're so, sometimes we're on there, sometimes we're not. Yes. So that if, if we do need to go, that's fine. Yep. It'll be fine to close that account and move in the other direction, or maybe it will actually like be totally fine and Elon does a decent job with it. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But I do have to say, I have to give a shout out to a potential new listener, Kathleen Madigan. <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot. 
My this amazing moment. favorite stand-up comedian, seriously, of all time, since I was in grade school and used to watch old episodes of Comedy Central uh, Presents. Yes. And I discovered I her very young as well. I love the 80s and I love the 90s on yes. MTV. Um, Kathleen Madigan followed us on Twitter and... Basically, Why am I not on Twitter right now? Hold on. I'm going to get on Twitter. I just want to see if maybe yeah, see, Kathleen what, sent us a message or something. Let's see if she messaged us, but also, like, has anything drastically changed in the one day that it's <laughs> under new ownership? Um, okay. No, that was a huge deal for us, everybody. Kathleen Madigan is the best. And the Truly. fact that she, like, noticed we exist is incredible. Yeah. Uh, really threw me for a loop. I took a screenshot of it. I will save that screenshot forever. Oh, yeah. I saved it. I saved it into my photos. I was like, stop. And I think I was screaming at the top of my lungs, especially because we've never known how to be people on Twitter. And she still found <laughs> us. <laughs> it's great. Oh, she's still following us. Well, that's such okay, good, good news. She didn't Hi, give Kathleen. Up. Um, no, she didn't. And uh, I, it's sort of a joke because, like, I don't know if she listens to our show as well, but I'm just very excited. It was definitely one of those uh, weird moments for me as a creator where I was like, huh? You noticed me? Oh, also, sorry. I do need to give one more thank you, and then we really do need to dive in. Just because yeah. I should have said this on the last episode because this is coming out in, like, two, three weeks. Who knows? I have to thank everybody who gave me potty training advice. I got so yeah. many DMs, both on our Keep It Weird account, but even my personal, because I was like, I love oh, that you guys find me over there too. And everyone gave me so many good tips. But also, even if it wasn't tips, it was just like good parental, like commiserating. Everybody messaged mm -hmm. me and was just like, listen, it's hard and it sucks. But guess what? Like I have a 10 year old now and they know how to use the bathroom and like you're going to get there. <laughs> I was yeah. like, okay, thank you. So just thank you for your support. Our weirdos are the best and we're making it through. We still have a few poops in the pants, but we're gonna we're gonna get past it. So thank you everybody. Love you. Yeah, thank you guys. I mean for, you know, supporting my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and her child bowel her movements. Because I could not give advice. It's fine. My cat did pee on the couch though. So See? similarities man <laughs> sort of the same hey i mean <laughs> kittens and puppies like they are a lot of work there's some comparisons with toddlers absolutely and i love them as much as you love wilder no i'm just kidding i have <laughs> hey, never man. once thought about like what are my cats going to do if i die if i die um yep. i mean I like obviously <laughs> i have the thought of like i hope that i hope i don't die as a secret and they starve, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. But, like, would they be fine if, like, it was just Joe? Yeah. Yes, they <laughs> They'd would. They'd be yes. like, where's mom? And he'd be like, she's never coming back. And they'd be like, all right. All right. Well, did well, you put food in my bowl? She was nice. Okay. Yeah. Clean the litter box, please. She was a nice lady, but, like, let's get to getting. Let's go. <laughs> Near-death experiences. <laughs> Welcome back. Here Welcome we are. back. Uh, another one we wanted to touch on. It's very, very popular. And actually seems to happen with most people dying, as hospice nurses will be the first to tell you. And that's the dying person seeing people who are not there. And mm -hmm. more often than not, they report seeing loved ones in the room who had already passed, which I find interesting. Yes. For the argument that something is actually happening, but we'll get into it. But for example, I even have one, a real short one. Um, and I don't know if I've told this on the show again, but as we said last episode, 
we're getting old. We're getting up there. So oh, just gosh. let us have this. Sorry about it. <laughs> when my grandma was passing, she kept telling my mom that they needed to get more chili for the boys. And my grandpa was the fire chief of my hometown. And my grandma would often feed his men, his firemen. And she was seeing them, his men, in the room with her on her last few days. And I remember I, you telling me that. I like to think that they were keeping her company while he was getting things ready for her on the other side. Like he was Ooh. like, <laughs> go get her boys. And like yeah, they came go and take stood care with of my her. Woman. Yeah. Yes. While he, I you know. That fluffed the pillows and lit the candles and all that stuff. No, that's a beautiful one. And we actually had a lot of you write in uh, to tell us your experiences like this. And I just want to thank you guys so much. A lot of y'all's grandmas got to see their husbands within the last week of their life. And I think that's the most romantic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the most romantic thing. It's like, okay, love is not dead. We can have hope in the world. This yeah. is beautiful. It's so good. But Lauren, what does science say about this experience? Uh, again, it's tough because you're like, man, like there cannot be an explanation for this, you know, because yeah. it happens so often. I mean, especially go listen to any bonus episode with my sister, any of the ones Julia and I do. Like it is just countless stories of seeing your dead loved ones in the room with you right before you pass. And Julia sitting there as the hospice nurse as they're like, hey, do you see Frank over there? And she's like, oh, no. Like, oh, what no, are you Frank. <laughs> oh, no, Frank. Um, yeah, it happens all the time. It's mind boggling. But of course, science is trying to find a way. But the cool thing I will say, and I referenced this in the last episode, is for a long time, there were studies, you know, from years past, just doing the best they could to do research into NDEs which again, it's a very hard thing to research in the mm -hmm. scientific world. But just in February 2022, we were able to see what happens in the brain a little bit, a little peek into it, starting point, into our final moments of life, because scientists were able to record the brain waves of a dying man. He appeared to go through a sudden flash of memories seconds before and after his heart stopped beating. And it is the first of its kind study suggesting that we may experience a huge flood of memories and pictures of our entire life when we die. That moment when people say, my life flashed before my eyes, yeah. as we reference all the time. So in the research published in Frontiers in Aging Neuroscience, doctors were taking brain scans of an 87-year-old Canadian patient with epilepsy. The team was performing a test that detects electrical activity in the brain called an electroencephalogram or an EEG, as you've probably heard it. Oh, yeah. To learn. Yeah. It's like this is I don't think I've ever finding. heard. <laughs> Sorry. No, I don't think word. I've ever heard EEG. Oh, yes. No, same here. Okay. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I was like, did we all know that it was this <laughs> insane word? I was like sounding it out. I put like little dashes to help me get through it. <laughs> oh, I write things phonetically. Yeah. Pretty much I have every to write episode. everything phonetically. Yeah. yeah. But it's like written, I think, even like worse than other people who write it. Anyway, so an electroencephalogram or an EEG is able to detect the electrical activity. And honestly, like with all of the research that's happening today, this is pretty much the best way to, you know, record anything that's happening in like during an NDE or an OBE, like not a body experience is like to see what's happening in the brain, but that is just very difficult to do because you don't know when people are going to die. But in this case, they were looking in his brain because of his seizures. So the elderly man had an unexpected heart attack and died during the procedure that was uh. just supposed to be looking at his seizures and the causes for them. 
And in accordance with the patient's do not resuscitate status, the doctors did not attempt any further treatment and the man passed away very quickly after the heart attack. But because the EEG machine kept running, doctors got a glimpse into the man's brain activity at the end of his life, and such scans had never really been captured before on a dying individual. So this is a huge breakthrough that just happened a couple months ago. Um, and basically the doctors were saying, like, we can't ever plan for this. It is so rare. No healthy human is going to go have an EEG before they die, and no sick patients are going to know when they're going to die to be able to record these signals. So this was just so lucky for us, and the neurosurgeons are, like, going crazy. But basically for roughly 30 seconds before and after the man's heart stopped beating, the scans showed increased activity in parts of the brain associated with memory recall, meditation, and dreaming. Different types of neural oscillations, also called brain waves, are involved in different brain functions. So researchers recorded both high-frequency gamma oscillations as well as slower-frequency theta, delta, alpha, and beta oscillations, which, the reason I brought it up in the last episode, is because it's exactly what they were finding with the rats mm. and just kept saying, like, I really think this could happen with humans, but there's just no way for us to, like, record it successfully. And they finally did it this year. So scientists say they were particularly intrigued by the presence of gamma waves, which suggests that the man's brain may have been replaying memories from throughout his life. Because, like, as we were kind of saying with the rats, like, with those gamma waves, like, it's pretty much a known thing that they are, like, something is firing really quickly and yeah. it is most likely triggering something in your, I forget what it is, I wrote it down at some point, the hypothalamus and amygdala, I yeah, believe, or, like, right. the memory triggers, yeah. I was like, that sounds correct, but also wrong at the same time. But I, so they think it, it was triggering specifically memories, but definitely firing off really fast. So they believe after watching the EEG that the man's brain was replaying memories throughout his life. And the reason that I bring this up with seeing loved ones is because from this and from, you know, other studies of people saying that they saw their life flash before their eyes or they saw loved ones who had passed on, scientists are saying like, listen, I understand that you had this experience and that it was special for you. So I'm not going to shoot that down in any way. Like you should be welcomed to the next side by your loved ones. But what if it's our memory bringing up these people who we also know, you know, throughout our subconscious, somewhere tucked in our brain, yeah. has passed on. So as our body realizes it's dying, it's bringing those people to the forefront and saying like, oh, yeah, this other person who passed on, look at them. They're doing pretty well. They're going to take care of you. So it's just their way of saying like, it could be your brain flashing through memories and bringing them kind of out into your world, those moments before you're dying, because your brain is starting to slowly turn off, have those disconnects, and it could get to the point of, I am seeing my loved one in the corner of my room welcoming me to the other side. And maybe that is just your brain firing off a memory. That is sort of what they're trying to go towards. But either way, it's amazing that they recorded that brain scan while that guy was dying. No kidding. Because it is exactly what they have been waiting to but capture. But also, why and don't they? I mean, I know that we don't execute people that much anymore. So maybe that's why. But we execute people. Oh, but people. Ashley, good point. Yes, Just, that is such a good point. And it's not like those people have any fucking rights at that point. No, <laughs> like slap some horrible up to their thing brain to say, but you know happening. what I mean. Like you I, I, you could make it so optional, it. I guess. You know, but. True. Like maybe they really don't want it, but kind of see what goes on in their brain just yeah. to see if like those things are firing off. Well, because, and know. I wonder if it would, uh, I wonder if it would have to be like a natural 
sort of death. Because I know with like um, lethal injection, you're given a sedative first. So it might not do the same thing. And my argument against science. (laughs) As you should have one. No, the only thing that 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 doesn't explain to me is like this was like days before my grandma passed. It's usually like in the week leading up to so-and-so's death, they kept saying they were seeing people in the room. Yes, and I agree with you there. The only difference with this one, and I think there was a moment where they touched on that, this guy was not expecting to die and it wasn't slow. I think it's because it was such like a, oh, shoot, this is out of nowhere. It was sped up a bit Uh with the memories, but there is a theory. There's a theory that if people are gradually dying, even if it's like within the week, they may start having these like weird brain activities because the brain is like kind of shutting off like one sector at a time. I'm imagining like the lights slowly going off in like a long hallway. Some like like custodian going through and turning off all the lights. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like it's happening a little more slowly. Okay. However, that is just a theory, but that is one thing I I have to argue with you to debate. No, that's a good explanation. There's a cat trying to get into my room. <gasps> Is it Frankie? Sure sounds like it, little gremlin. <laughs> 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 well, before I get into my portion, I did want to share an experience from Andrea C. And I'm going to try real hard not to cry when I read this because I think oh, it's just no. one of the most beautiful stories I've Oof. ever heard. So Andrea C. says, This happened in the year 2008. My grandfather was admitted to the hospital due to the fact that he was feeling very ill. Upon further investigation of the medical staff, it was discovered that a vein had detached from my grandfather's heart, and he refused the option of an operation. After two days in the hospital, my grandfather was admitted to hospice, and from the time my grandfather entered hospice, I was with him most of that time. The first night, uh, at around 11.30 p.m., I turned off the light as he was sleeping and assured him that I would be right next to him. I was lying on a couch that was in the room next to the bed. And a little after midnight, he began telling me he loved me many times over and over. Right after that, I smelled cigarette smoke, which I thought was odd. And upon smelling the smoke, I then sensed someone pass by me. I opened my eyes thinking the nurse had stepped in, but no one was there. I closed my eyes again and I felt the presence of what felt like many people walking past me. My grandfather then started talking. I kept my eyes closed and I just listened. He said in a very surprised voice, I can't believe how beautiful you all look. He said it in awe and more than once. He said, where did the baby go? Let me see the baby again. Then he said, where did Louis go? Louis was a brother of his who was deceased for many years, and my grandma lost a child at birth. He then kept saying, I know, I know, I know, over and over again. Then he said to me, Andrea, am I going to get better? And I said something like, maybe in time, which I now regret saying. He then resumed his conversation. I know, I know. He then said, what about Carla? Carla is his daughter who is very much alive. He said, I know, a few more times, and then said, I know, I'm a big baby. And then he said, okay, I give up. And he took off his oxygen mask. He then said, toodaloo, 
in a high pitch. He said it the way my grandmother would say it. It was a word that she said, not him. And that was the last word that I heard him say. After that, the nurses came into the room, put his oxygen back on, and gave him some kind of medication. They commented on how good and peaceful he looked and how his skin was getting its color back. I said nothing of the experience at that time. I believe his soul had already left his body at that point. But after the nurse left, I laid on the bed next to him and I put one earbud in my ear and one earbud in his ear. And I put my arm around him and quietly sang some of his favorite songs to him. I felt a presence like the bed was surrounded. And I thought to myself that I'm not frightened because I know it's all my family members. I feel so blessed to have been able to witness this. And I have shared it with many people. Oh my gosh. Of a huge lump in my throat. I'm like, if only we could all be so lucky to be able to die this way. Right. What <sighs> a beautiful, beautiful moment. I just think it it's was interesting. Mostly the toodaloo for me. The toodaloo was strange. Was so sweet. I just think, strange you know, the fact that he was having some sort of back and forth conversation where they were saying something to him. And it was very clear that he was asking, you know, you know, let me see the baby again. Right. His wife had died before him, years before him. And obviously she had lost a child at birth. So like the fact that like she may have been there with a baby and <sighs> asking what about Carla? Basically saying like, well, I can't die. What about my daughter? And them saying like, mm -hmm. she's fine. <laughs> yeah you have to oh you have to and the the, wow. the spiritual argument for this i mean this is probably one of the uh, more famous famous popular <laughs> more popular mm -hmm. things to happen a lot of people wrote in um not only seeing you know we had someone write in i won't say their name because i don't know if they want me to share this um a past guest on the show actually who said that they saw their grandfather in the room when their dog was dying, which obviously oh, wow. reminded me of the time that I felt my grandfather pat my shoulder when Azzy had died. Hmm. So it's not just, you know, that the dying person has these experiences. It it's also seems, yeah, it also seems like the people surrounding them have, have experiences like this as well. Right. That's why it feels like it's absolutely something else that we just yeah. can't explain. And the spiritual argument is that when it's our time to go, the people we loved in our lives and maybe even in past lives will gather to help you with the process because out of everything, death is the hardest thing you'll ever do. I don't think it matters how spiritual you are or how much faith you have that you get to go to heaven. It's very difficult to let go of this life and to let go of our bodies. Sure. Um, it's scary. It's often painful. You don't want to say goodbye to the people you have left if you're lucky enough to have them. So I could see it being an important thing, even for advanced beings, to be present in those times to assist in the transition. Yes. Even though they themselves know that it's fine and they're about to be so filled with light and love and completely without pain, you would remember how right. difficult and frightening it was when you had to go through it. Exactly. That you want to be there for the next person to welcome them in and say, you know, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. you're 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 coming over here and we can be together. It's just, yeah, it's giving them that assistance to say, like, you can also feel that warm, fuzzy, euphoric feeling and yeah. just come see me. Do you um, have any stories? I do. I have two. Yeah. 
I have, this one is really short that I'll read first. Okay. This is a listener who just wanted to go by B. Hey, B. Letter B. B says, my brother-in-law was dying. He awoke from a nap and asked his wife if she had seen who had pinched his toe and woke him up. She replied that no one had been in the room but her, and he said that he was pretty sure that it had been his mom who was deceased. And that was how she used to wake him up for school every single day. He said that he had seen her leave the room and that she had long black hair like she did when he was young. In a short while, he seemed to focus on the foot of his bed and the foot of his bed only. He slowly got a smile on his face, looked the most peaceful I had ever seen him, and then he closed his eyes and peacefully passed away. Wow. And I just love that his mom came in to pinch his toes. Oh, that just melted me. It's so short and sweet, but I had to read I it because I was like, I feel like my mom used to, I don't think it was a toe pinch, but she would always grab like my leg. Like she would walk up to the oh, end yeah. of my bed and like shake my leg to wake me up every day. So I feel like if that was happening to me on my deathbed, I would just lose my mind. So I'd be like, mom, <laughs> did you mom, come to fine. shake my leg for school? Like she was giving him a toe pinch to be like, hey, come like, on. This is my loving way of saying like, you're good to go. Yeah. And like part of that, definitely seemed like the memories thing about how like yes. memories of his mom doing that would seem so real that he would think but the the thing that i find interesting is when they see them in the room that they're currently yes. in because in a, a lot of times they're in a hospital or they're in you know uh you know they're having memories of like their childhood bed bedroom but like the right. fact that he can Clearly, it seems like they can see something in the room. You saw her in the room and then exiting the room as well. Yeah, yeah, that's the part that like the the science facts, like I get what they're saying with the memories, but that doesn't necessarily really play into why am I seeing them in the room right now, you know, mm -hmm. welcoming me with open arms. And I'm sure there could be some other way to point to, well, again, it's like the brain is misfiring in For this sure. way, but I don't know. It just feels... It feels too special and so intentional, kind of what you were saying, where it's like those people are showing up for a reason. Like they are your deceased loved ones, your deceased relatives showing up to tell you that it's safe to pass on. It just yeah. feels. Well, I think it's <sighs> like I get the, the, the thought process that like, oh, I think that, um, you know, you see loved ones who had already passed because you're constantly thinking about death. Right. Yeah. But don't you think at least sometimes it would be like you see a nurse in the room who's not there? You know what I mean? Like I just yes. – I think it's interesting that it's it's almost always people who are already gone. Right. Yes. That's why it just – it feels or too crazy. Some stories that we've told on the show before involving old people passing in old folks' homes or in, you know, in hospice care – and uh, I remember one, I don't remember if I told it on the show or if it was uh, a story that got put in a newsletter, but basically there was this, um, it was like an elderly ward that had used to be a children's ward. Mm -hmm. And a lot of old people before they died would talk about the children in their room. Seeing kids, yes. And right. that doesn't fit. 
<laughs> the bill? No, that fits. Yeah, that fits nothing. It's like, who are these kids? Yeah. <laughs> like, why and are they the are ones like welcoming me? I didn't meet them. People. These aren't like, yeah. oh, well, this old this person isn't someone told from this my old person. And, you know, that's why they think that. No, like this is like people who had no idea this was a children's word. And no, I don't know why a kid is in, in their room. room. Exactly. It's there are so many holes to poke in the theory. I feel yeah. like it just. Yeah. In both I theories. I mean, yeah, we gravitate towards the fantastical and the spiritual because. Of course. I don't know. For me, this is one of those situations where until you can disprove it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can only believe it. Right. But anyways. there just isn't enough evidence for me not to believe yeah. in it. And yeah. Also, I like I'm just a person. I feel like for me, it's coming out of, you know, being a Christian, I like I don't. I guess I can call myself kind of an ex-Christian because I don't. <laughs> it like sounds so dramatic, but I don't really, you know, follow well, the you religion can, anyway I was anymore. But say, you could still be a Christian without being a practicing. Right. Christian. Yeah, that is true. But yeah, I guess I just I don't practice anymore, like really at all, and I don't use prayer as often as as I used to. But either way, I feel like coming out of that though, I do still like to grasp on to some sort of faith and something to believe in. So for me, that's why I always do go to the side of, well, I have to believe it's true because it gives me hope and it gives me this faith that there is going to be something better in another chapter and that I will be welcomed in by somebody who loves me and cares about me. So yeah, I just also with the fact that there just isn't enough science to like disprove any of these stories that people are telling, I'm just going to sit here and say, yep, I know I'm going to see my grandparents and if my parents go before me, see them and it all will be very real to me no matter what's happening. Um, You have one more anyway. story, right? Yes. Okay. Let me pull it up because he, this was a message. It was a DM. So let me pull. Yes. Okay. This was from listener Chris. Hi, Chris. Um, hi, Chris. Thank you so much for writing in. He says, well, first I want to read, I always do this when we do listener ghost stories too. I have to read the compliments that he paid us yeah, first because that's important. Yeah. If they ever say like, I don't like your show, but here's a story, you can skip that preamble. Sure. But we're going to do the nice part. Yeah. Um, hey there, weirdos. I'm Chris. I have recently discovered your podcast and I listen to it while I work. I am about 20 episodes in. You two are incredible people and I love your energy and humor. It is refreshing to listen Hell to y'all. Hell yeah, Thank Chris. You. Hell yeah. We'll see you in uh, two years when you catch up. Yep. <laughs> when you're on this episode, you will hear your shadow. <laughs> um, he says, I'm from Kentucky and I still live here today. I apologize in advance, but I feel like you two would find my story interesting. My father died when I was 17 years old unexpectedly. I came home from school on the bus to see the ambulance and sheriff's deputy there and my mom was in tears. He had a bad heart and a stressful job and it finally got him. It was very hard over the next few years, and I had worked this job, I worked this job and that, and the opportunity arose that I could become an EMT for the largest city in Kentucky, something I was curious about because before that, I was a volunteer firefighter. So I went through the steps and then a four-month academy, and I finally graduated. I worked these city streets for a few months, and one day, a police officer was stopped on the interstate downtown. Her car was rear-ended by a semi-truck, and it had caught fire. She died instantly. Jeez. That was hard on the first responder family there. 
Two weeks later in the first week of 2019, my partner and I were transporting a patient intoxicated on meth. She began to spaz out and tried to exit our ambulance while we were driving. I told my partner to pull over and help me. He pulled over, turned on the lights, and got in the back. And that's all I remember. The next thing I know, I woke up in the hospital surrounded by my family and my command staff. They told me that our ambulance was struck by a truck and we were both severely injured. And injured is an understatement. We were struck by a dump truck who allegedly was speeding and completely overloaded. Our ambulance was ripped in half and my partner and myself were both ejected from the vehicle. He was thrown about 15 feet. I was thrown directly down between the two vehicles. I think that was towards the end of the impact because the two vehicles were pushed into a semi-truck and then into four cars. Oh my gosh. My partner was semi-conscious and he was able to call for help. And he saw a man fitting my dad's exact description kneeling over me before the dump truck driver came over and tried to get in a fight with him. But then he quickly passed out. I survived somehow with two skull fractures, two bleeds in my brain, and the worst concussion you could ever have. My partner did not suffer any major injuries, nor did any other person involved from the other vehicles, or our patient who stayed in the stretcher during impact but afterwards jumped out and ran down the interstate. (laughs) After six months in recovery and therapy, I went back to work. Shortly thereafter, our first child, my son Jasper, was born. And over the next few years, my mental state has gone downhill with PTSD from the job and anxiety and such. The dumpster fire that is my head had gotten so bad, it put my marriage at risk, and I'm seeking therapy. But three weeks ago, while I was asleep, when I would usually have nightmares, I had an incredible dream. It was that I was sitting with my son and introducing him to my dad. They both laughed and they hugged. And my dad then turned to me and said, you're doing good. I love you. I woke up in tears because I had forgotten what my dad's voice sounded like, but I knew it was his in the dream immediately. I also question myself a lot on whether or not I am worthy of being a father or even a husband to my wife, and if I deserve this life, I have been rewarded with having. I no, lo- I no longer work in EMS because it was too violent, and I actually became a truck driver. I am a spiritual person, and I know that my dad is with me, and I have experienced other things with dead patients and family members, but nothing like this. If you decide to share this story, I reckon my point would be that the people who are fundamental in your life and love you will always be with you, always have hope for healing and a better tomorrow, and that it is okay to not be okay. Thank you, friends. Stay weird. Mm. Well, that was a which just <laughs> incredible a roller coaster. Um, it's an incredible story that kind of went like to like the darkest depths, and then also to the most beautiful places of. Like being able to see his dad and experience him in the dream and, you know, hear from his partner that his dad was most likely there on the scene because no one knows what happened to the guy kneeling over him. And yeah. like, it's just, it's beautiful. Yeah. And all I can say about the um, the feelings that you have, well, one, I, I can't imagine what it's like living with PTSD, especially if you have to live with PTSD on top of, you know, you said a brain bleed, like a a brain injury, which, which just exacerbates anything you got going on in there. Um, but I think that everyone can, everyone who isn't a like crazy narcissist, (laughs) um can identify with that feeling of not deserving what you have especially if you have a mental disorder I know that I 
I can I can get myself if I'm having a very very bad mental health week um in terms of anxiety or especially anxiety and depression I can think that a lot about how like I don't des- especially if someone's extra nice to me how I don't deserve right. that um niceness or it's not fair to put Joe through my bouts of depression yeah. and I know he's he's said the same to me like uh, he doesn't feel that it's fair that he that I have to deal with his trauma yeah from childhood I say that to Alex all the time mm-hmm. like I'm so sorry you have to deal with my mental health and these depression bouts and I always I sit there and say like oh you and Wilder deserve you know a healthy a healthy happy mom and mm-hmm. of course they come back at you saying like absolutely not like you are worth so much more but that is that's so real it's have so real. And the only thing I can, you know, tell you is that like they're in your life for a reason. Mm-hmm. And when they need you to be the one that's strong and, and take over, take the reins or need you to be the one to deal with their mental health problems, you will be. And that's sort of the mm-hmm. exchange, you know, especially I, I can't Im- I know that it must feel really hard, especially if you are someone who is, you know, quote unquote, mentally unhealthy or mentally unwell, living with someone who doesn't suffer from that. Like, I don't know what that's like. I I luckily at least have Joe who is just as fucked up. (laughs) So we kind of... We get the... um, You can understand each other a little better. Like We have the pleasure of... (laughs) constantly switching off you know like when he's someone having it hard or when he's reacting a certain way towards me like it's sort of like it uh don't worry because i'm gonna be there tomorrow so now today i gotta be the real strong one and someone will always step up when they exactly i do feel like everything happens for a reason and we find each other for a reason and especially if it's a child that you have like they are your child for a reason, of all the different ways that that could have happened, it created that being. It's not a mistake. Right. So. And yeah, I mean, your feelings are valid. Like, totally. we, you know, we can't sit here and say, like, of course, everyone just, everyone who loves you probably wants to grab you and say, like, you're worth it. You know, you're enough, all of that. And sometimes you just can't help it. Your feelings are valid. We feel them too. Many people totally. feel them as well. It is so real. Like imposter syndrome can exist in many ways, whether it's in your job or your family and just thinking, I don't deserve this. I'm not capable of this, all of that. But just know like you, yeah, you became a father for a reason and like this child is yours. And I really, I know we're outsiders, but I I am sure you're doing an amazing job and being an amazing father. And just think of how special it was to see your father in those in that dream or you know in those instances that it felt like the craziest thing in the world that he was even appearing or could say you know I love you you're doing good like you can also be that for your son in some way and be that encouragement and I just yeah I don't even know like how to wrap that up but just know that you can be that father in the same way that yours appeared for you and I'm also so glad you got to hear your dad's voice again that's very special seriously I think about that, about how I think I'm going to like call my parents and be like, can you guys leave me a voicemail that I can save now that I technologically know how to do that? Because like if yes. I could have a voicemail from my grandma, <gasps> oh, 
I have a voicemail from my dad that's totally just like boring and nothing, but it's from like 2015 and I've never deleted it because <laughs> of that reason, which I know like 2015, that was a while ago. So clearly I've just been having these morbid thoughts for so long, but I'm thankful that I have it now Yeah, because if anything ever happens, I will have his voice just being like, hey, call me back. Like I think it's something so boring, but. And everyone in my life and your life is very lucky because they have hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of, of our voice to listen to anytime they just want. Just listen to the podcast <laughs> when you miss us in the future will annoy the crap out of you forever. Um, Are you ready to move on to a very controversial topic? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Seeing God or Jesus mm-hmm. or other religion specific entities. Some people have their beliefs totally solidified by their experience. Some people are not religious or spiritual at all and become so after. And some people are extremely religious and come out of the experience with a totally different idea of what the universe is made of. Lauren, does science have anything to say about people having what we're going to call a religious experience, meeting God or seeing heaven? Oh, gosh. I mean, like, yes and no. Mm-hmm. It's kind of been the answer for this whole series of say, science. But more of the I'm same. Like, <laughs> yes. Again, I'm, I'm going to do the best that I can. There's at least like some some theories that exist that okay. can help explain. But they're they're trying with the explanations for when people see heaven or God. One of the things that scientists are trying to bring to the forefront is to look at people with Parkinson's disease Mm. because a lot of Parkinson's patients have visions of ghosts or monsters or entities that they cannot explain. Really, And Parkinson's involves abnormal functioning of dopamine, a neurotransmitter that can evoke hallucinations. Mm. And when it comes to the common experience of reliving one, you know, moments from one's life or seeing somebody you know, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about just before, the culprit could be the locus coriolis, which is a midbrain region that releases noradrenaline, and it's a stress hormone that one would not, that one would expect to be released during high levels of trauma. So again, it comes during dying or near-death experiences when your body thinks it's dying. This can be released, and that can either trigger memories or it can trigger hallucinations. So they is that have looked at people with what DMT is? I believe so, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Cause I yeah, I saw DMT written in another article and I was like, I always see people talking about DMT, but like what's really going on? Well, but yeah, I don't this know is if anyone watched the latest season of Russian Doll. I haven't it's but I can't wait you posted about it. It is just as good as season one, if not better. Okay, good, because I absolutely loved it. There is an episode where two of the characters do DMT and it is fucking insane. (laughs) DMT, for anyone listening, is is an actual drug. Um, It's not one that is easily accessible like marijuana or (laughs) cocaine. (laughs) But um, it's like, I would say it's something that more people know of. uh, Ayahuasca. It's kind of mm-hmm. on the same level as that, like extremely hallucinatory. It will open your mind. Yeah, a, a flooding of of dopamine, I believe, is is what right. what it does. But anyways, yes, go on. Which Sorry. yeah, can absolutely happen just in moments of stress to be you know released in your mind. It's mm-hmm. like it's doing that exact same thing, um, and it can be released during high les- levels of trauma to either emit high emotional moments okay. or memory or you know any of that. So it is believed. By most scientists, that because death can be a scary, surprising, confusing thing, 
It is the combination of a psychological and physiological response in our brain and body that is protecting us. And that's why we feel the euphoria. And that's why we get this flood of things, you know, coming to our brain. And sometimes that euphoric sense that we get when all that dopamine is rushing in, we see what we believe is heaven or God waiting to welcome us with open arms. But it could absolutely be a hallucination or different things we've pieced together from our memory Mm. that equal, you know, Jesus, God, sometimes people say they see like a mother figure. It's not necessarily their mom, but it's like this version of what their mind thinks is a mom. Yeah, welcoming them in. And everything's kind of in this haze that they think, oh, I'm in paradise. This must be heaven. I'm seeing clouds. But people have seen these visions both when they believe they are dying, but they're not. And then also in people who were dead or their heart stopped for a little bit, but then were brought back to life. Right. And so that's why it is believed that it's more of a defense mechanism in the body to reduce the trauma. But again, and we said this before, I think in the last episode, what scientists do agree on is even if they are sitting here saying, oh my gosh, it's just hormones being released in your body. It's all chemical. Like you are imagining heaven just because your body was like put into shock. Scientists do agree that whatever people feel after the fact, whatever Mm -hmm. they see in that near-death experience, what they believe to be heaven, what they believe to be God, if it makes them want to change their life and, you know, turn things around and get healthier, which is what happens in a lot of cases, then good. Like, let's not even (laughs) dig too much deeper into it because who cares? If your life is going to be better for it afterwards, then that is amazing. Your body did what it's supposed to do, which was protect you from trauma and show you a feeling of euphoria and show you your memories and show you what looks like paradise to you, whatever that may be. And so they're kind of like, I think this is beautiful and who cares what's actually happening. But there is a guy named Andrew Newberg, a neuroscientist who puts forward the following scenario, which he emphasizes as a lot of guesswork, but putting things together that he's learned that when people die, Two parts of the brain that usually work in opposition to each other finally act cooperatively. Mm. The sympathetic nervous system, a web of nerves and neurons that run through the spinal cord and spread to virtually every organ in the body, is responsible for arousal or excitement, and it gets you ready for action. And then the parasympathetic system, with which the sympathetic system is entwined, calms you down and rejuvenates you. So in life, the turning on of one system promotes the shutting down of the other. The sympathetic nervous system kicks in when a car cuts you off on the highway. The parasympathetic system is in charge as you're falling asleep and relaxing. But in the brains of people having these mystical experiences, and most likely during death, both systems are fully turned on for one last, you know, Joel, ta giving a person a sensation both of slowing down, maybe being out of body, seeing things vividly, including memories of important people in past events. And it is possible that the visions of heaven are merely chemical and neurological events that occur all at the same time during death. Interesting. Well, and I wonder if that's something that the drugs like DMT and ayahuasca do as well, if they make those two sides of the brain work together simultaneously. That's kind of how it seems. Yeah. So that absolutely could be true. Wow. But yeah, I know. So many things could be happening. Well, I'm going to come at it from like a, like, we are seeing things. We are going to a place when I'm talking about it, just because like, I myself have always stood by the opinion that you will put your beliefs onto whatever experience you have. 
again, going back to the biblical example I used earlier, an alien abduction experience could be seen as speaking to an angel if you're religious and vice versa, though. Like I could have a visitation or something and I would be like, it was definitely aliens when in reality, maybe it was a group of angels. Like, (laughs) but I don't believe in angels. So I would, (laughs) you know, be like those are. And another example I've actually used on the show before is Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass. It's a vampire. But Mm -hmm. if you imbue the experience with your own personal beliefs, it becomes something uh, divine. Yes, that's a very good example. But there are definitely a lot of experiences people have with entities belonging to different religious ideologies that definitely piqued my interest. And an argument for that is that it's possible for spirit to show you things that are comforting to you personally and Mm -hmm. this can even go along with seeing loved ones around you it could just be that that they know that you'd be comforted by seeing these faces especially since like the fact that like when we die our soul would look like us is kind of preposterous when you think about it right like our soul like this is just bone and skin this is all yeah, the we're stuff just in a meat bag our souls our ghosts the whole casper thing would make more sense you know how you're like yes, why does we would just be able Devin, to why, why does Kev, casper not look like devon sawa <laughs> he looks nothing like devon sawa because anyway regardless of what's really happening here is a very crazy story i think you will enjoy from alex s it's it was a very long story and i'm gonna share the whole thing on our facebook but to summarize it Alex says, this occurred about five years prior to my father's actual death and passing in 2009. At the time, my dad was a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints, but he was not always a clean living and God-fearing man. He spent much of his 20s and 30s as an officer in the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club. In fact, he was one of the founding members of the Hells Angel chapter in the city where we lived. After becoming a churchgoer, my dad often joked that he went from being an angel to being a saint. (laughs) (laughs) My dad was also a very talented artist, and he painted many Christian and LDS Christian-themed oil paintings. In his 50s, after battling many mysterious, painful, and debilitating symptoms, he was eventually diagnosed with MS. His health quickly deteriorated. He lost the ability to walk. He could not move his hands well either. The MS took away his ability to paint as well as he used to. The disease progression attacked every part of his body, including his eyes, and it impacted his internal organs. One day, my dad had a flare-up bout with MS that was very similar to a stroke, and as a result, he was hospitalized and put on a ventilator. He was also unconscious and comatose. The doctors told my stepmother and me that my dad almost died, and we were told he was being kept alive by the machines but they could not do this indefinitely. And we were asked if we knew what my dad's wishes were in terms of advanced directives. We would have to make a decision regarding life support. And as a family, we were unsure what to do because my dad told me that he wanted one thing and he told my mom that he wanted another. And we all wanted to respect what his actual wishes were. So the doctors told us they could decrease his pain medication and bring him out of a comatose state to attempt to communicate with him, but they warned that he would be in pain and would not be surprised if he succumbed to his illness and passed away by doing so. As a family, we all agreed to have my father's pain meds reduced and to bring him to consciousness to find out what he wanted to do. 
We knew he would not be able to talk, but we thought he would be able to communicate through blinking and pointing to letters and pre-written words that we put on an improvised communication board. Genius. Mm -hmm. It worked, and he was able to tell us. He clearly communicated he wanted to stay plugged in. When I saw him in that ICU room, he had a look of fear and terror in his eyes. My dad was the toughest man I knew. I had never seen him afraid before in my life. He had been in many life-threatening situations. He had even served time in prison, never batting an eye or having even a hint of fear. However, for this, he was clearly scared. Now, this is where I want to paraphrase. Essentially, his dad thought that he was um, visited by by dark angels the night before, maybe possibly demons. He said that he had had an incident that happened earlier in his life when he was with the Hells Angels, where he may have ended up killing these two men, and he had never confessed to this particular sin. So he asked for the stake president, which is essentially a priest in the LDS church, to come and allow him to confess. I went to see my dad the next morning. When I saw him, I could immediately tell something was different. The room was brighter, literally and feeling-wise. My dad had a smile on his face in spite of the pain and still being on a ventilator. My dad typed and communicated, I saw him, while smiling and laughing as best he could with a tube down his throat. I asked who, the stake president? He nodded his head yes, but then typed out, no, I saw him. My dad communicated that I needed to buy him darker flesh tone paints. He let me know he had been painting Jesus all wrong all these years and that Christ was darker than my dad expected. Prior to that, my dad, like most artists of European slash Caucasian descent, had been painting the Messiah looking pretty ethnically white. (laughs) As did everyone. My dad described him as looking very Middle Eastern with darker hair, dark, dark skin, and indicated his eyes were a greenish hue. My dad also shared that he was not skinny and weak looking. My dad stated that he had a vision slash dream slash visitation and that Jesus spoke directly to him. My dad let me know that he loved the Savior very much and tears formed in my dad's eyes. My dad then shared that the Savior told him that he loved my dad very much and he let my dad know that his sins were forgiven. My dad told me how he felt every day was a blessing and wanted to be plugged in and live right until the end, even if it meant suffering. Jesus told my dad it was not his time to be with him yet. And my dad told me via the communication board that Jesus told him he would be painting again in five years. My dad took it to mean that he would be cured of his MS in five years. But I took it to mean that he would be in the spirit world in five years. And if you remember at the beginning of the story, his dad did pass away five years after this experience. So hopefully he is painting now. He's (laughs) painting happily painting in paradise. Now, again, I'll post the full story on our Facebook because there's even more to this story. A lot of wild stuff. I can't believe that there's more. Oh, man. That was so incredible already. It's a very wild story, but... um, I wanted to share this particular portion because I thought it was interesting that not only did he have an experience with what he thought was Jesus Christ, but also that Jesus didn't look like he expected. Right. It didn't come from his memory. Yeah. You would think that this, if, if this was something he was you know, making up in his mind, Jesus would have looked like he had painted all these years. Exactly. He would be the image that he's seen over and over again, the image that he himself painted. So the fact right. that he talked to this being and immediately woke up and was like, I need darker paint. 
Like, he didn't look anything <laughs> like Evan Page. Jesus wrong all along. Yeah, his life was changed. And the fact no, that, that so he true. was able to say, like, it's not my time, even though the doctors were like, it's his fucking time. Like, he's about to die, right. blah, 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 blah. And he was like, no, like, I, I was told. It's, it's not my time. It's not time, and I'm fine. And he was. I mean, you know, he passed away For five a few years. more years. Yeah. yeah. Wow. NDEs are often extremely spiritual experienced despite what you believed prior to the experience. And there's a man named Peter Panagore who had an incredible NDE when he was 21 years old. He was ice climbing on a mountain in the Arctic and he had had an accident and basically died on the side of this mountain. And the things he had to say about his experience are totally mind-blowing. He articulates it very well. He essentially met what he called a voice, but it was a voice that permeated his entire being. A vibration was another thing he called it. And he called it reality with a capital R because that, the place he went, was reality. And this life on earth in a human body was something totally different. He said it was like being in a 4D world and waking up in almost like a 2D, like an old black and white flickering cartoon, like Steamboat right. Willie style. Like that's the difference in the feeling of where he went and what he's where he came back to. Yeah. And uh, he too suffered from PTSD from the experience. So Chris, I think that maybe if you um, uh, listen to some of Peter Panagore's um, experiences, he's done a lot of interviews. You can find them on YouTube. They're very fascinating. But- He suffered PTSD from the whole experience. Obviously, it was a pretty stressful experience all around. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, sounds awful. Dying on the side of a mountain, but especially the NDE. And he explained that he was all right in the interior world. He was a meditator, which was something that he had actually learned in Catholic school, or at least during Catholic school, which is something I'd never heard before. I mean, it's not crazy. Like, prayer is essentially a form of medication that's concentrated, but I've never heard anyone say, like, I started meditating in Catholic school. It's like, what? No. I think he was just taking prayer to, like, the extreme, which is good. I love it. If it led to meditation, that's great. But anyway, inside, he was okay. He was fine. When he was meditating, he could almost reach closer to that place and he was okay, but he was struggling majorly with the exterior world, the outside world. Everything seemed fake and dull. So he would deal with his experience primarily through meditation because he would go into himself and feel more whole and connect to that place again. And this is something that a lot of people who channel spirit or channel beings in the afterlife have said that this is all a play. It's all pretend. Right. It's not real when compared this to... This isn't the real, real. Yeah, what comes after. No, that's been said. Like, that is one of the things I read the most while I was doing research. And that's why, like, finding the scientific side was so difficult is because many scientists and a lot of doctors, neurosurgeons, nurses who are in the medical field and are watching these things happen, they still were kind of on the other side of the belief because a few of them had gone through near-death experiences or, you know, out-of-body experiences Mm -hmm. and came back saying, like, whatever I just saw is so real. Like, I that is where I am going to end up. That's where I'm supposed to be. I came back to this pretend world and I'll act out the rest of my life, but I know the reality is on the other side and I got to see it. And that was said over and over again with such strength from people even in – 
the science and medical community mm-hmm. saying like, hey, yep, I used to be on the other side. I used to try and find every logical answer I could until I saw this real life place that all I can describe is it's it's more real than I've ever experienced. And it felt like my paradise. Yeah. And that's when people get into, you know, heaven. maybe we saw heaven mm-hmm. because it just feels so good and it feels so right. How could that's you crazy. not think that that was heaven? Because that's what we're taught yes. heaven is, is just exactly. good and light and fun and, and, and love and blah, 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 blah. And right. that's actually Feeling loved. something um, else I wanted to say. Peter Panagore has a book. It's called Heaven is Beautiful. He actually, he ended up in an institution at one point. But the only way he could deal with it is by really diving into himself and sharing his experiences at first just with people who had similar stories and then more and more the entire world. And his message, I think, is very powerful and also something that I have found to be true of myself. And that is what comes after is pure love. It's unconditional and it's all encompassing. And he said, the more you can love, the bigger your heart, the more you can find compassion and love for all things, the closer you are to God, the more you hear the voice of love yourself. And I have absolutely found that the more I let go of old bullshit or even new bullshit that arises, like refusing to give into feelings of like anger, resentment, hate, the the more spiritual I become and the closer I feel to what most people can only describe as God. But it's more like a oneness. You begin to feel the connection to all things more and more and more. And obviously like that makes you feel whole because you're feeling more, you're feeling bigger almost. And Some people would call that enlightenment. Not that I think I am an enlightened being. I do not. <laughs> no, but I know what you mean. But you're working on getting there. That's yeah. the thing is you are seeing that like mm-hmm. you are capable of it when you are loving and letting go of the negatives. Yeah. It's like when you when you can show other people love and compassion, that is what it's that's what it's all about. I feel like we talked about that with Caitlin so much on the yeah. aliens episode. I think about that when it comes to like religion, we think about like the teachings of Jesus Christ, for example, like that's all it was, was like love, 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 love your brother, love your sister, love your neighbor, love your blah, 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 love everyone. That's why it's hilarious that people twist it. (laughs) That's it. That's what I was thinking because I was like, I don't think I'm enlightened, but I definitely know that I am closer to an enlightened being than people who, though they practice a religion that claims to be full of love regularly, they mm-hmm. simply are unevolved in the sense that they do not have that love and that compassion. Like they say they do, they right. recite the words, but then they, you know, vote to pass laws that are so anti- that are hurting other people. Exactly. They don't know how to love every single person. They hoard wealth, which is not love. You know what I mean? And I I went to a church regularly for seven to 10 years, and I have never felt Mm -hmm. anywhere close to what I feel today in terms of a closeness or a connection to God. I don't like calling it God, but a big part of that, I I think- But we all know what you mean. (laughs) Was getting away from the church and finding it myself. And you do that through things like meditation, sure, but also through meeting people that just naturally bring you closer to it. Yeah. The biggest 
problem that I had with church itself and with with religion was that was the hypocrisy was seeing people say like love your brother and sister we're all brothers and sisters in Christ and then Mm -hmm. talking shit constantly about the actions never matched yeah and it was just like you don't love anyone right (laughs) like how could you be close to god that's exactly why Alex and I left the church and why it didn't work out. Because like for years, yeah, you knew. Like I went to that church in Hollywood. Like many people I respected went to that church mm-hmm. because they were saying Bieber, really good things. And Kanye. they seemed I'm just yes, kidding. <laughs> it was like yeah, I mean, honestly, celebrities were going there, but no, like a lot of, it was not them. It was people that I loved in my life were going there. And I did meet my husband there, so I will always credit them for that at least. And like I met a lot of my close friends, but what's hilarious is none of us go there anymore yeah. because we all had, you know, the truth revealed to us. But it we loved it because they are like they're preaching all these beautiful things. Love everybody, mm-hmm. like who cares if they're different from you? Love them, like every gender, every sex sexuality we're welcoming to all but then when you start getting on the inside when we started you know like joining the volunteer staff and getting more and more involved we saw the inner workings of the church and saw how ugly it was and all the shit talking like you said everyone was talking bad about each other they were trying to kick people out of the church they weren't letting anybody who was gay actually serve on a team that like appeared to people they could do like paperwork in the back but they weren't allowed to be at the forefront and that's when we were like oh okay you are actually disgusting. And we yeah. that's why we left the church. And I feel so much better leaving. Well, it, it almost makes you feel further away from that. Yes. When you see the people inside of it behaving in that way. Right. It almost pushes you away from it. And I, I really do think, you know, I really do think it's a fucking scam. Because even Jesus himself was like, you don't need a church to worship. So no. the fact that churches like, try and just come say, party with you know, me, <laughs> you have to come to church on Sundays. Jesus never said that, not once. Right. It doesn't have to be about rules. Even the, the commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That doesn't mean go to church. That means yeah. to constantly, it means to ground yourself. Right. That's all it means is to stay grounded and to take the time out of your life like out of your day-to-day to ground yourself and to really connect and remember that connection yeah and to like to rest and to meditate yeah. and you know if you pray like to pray it's for those times it doesn't mean you have to be in a building it doesn't no. mean you have to be singing yeah hymns. operating a church yeah it's it is to ground yourself and it's it's so funny because I look back and you're absolutely right when I first left the church I think all I had was ne- negativity and I was like well then I don't know what to think about God I don't know what to think about religion am I a Christian am I this and this and then in like the year after that when I did some self-discovery and self-exploration I absolutely think I came to the spot of both knowing myself but also feeling more connected to the world because I just my eyes were opened to everything when we left the church it was it was needed it hurt in the moment and we lost you know some relationships and we had trust issues for a little bit with people but I feel like I feel closer to God now or to whatever higher power there is you know I yeah I feel like a better person because I saw what was outside and how I can be giving of my time and my love in other ways. And that never would have happened if we hadn't like chose to leave the church and say, you guys are doing garbage things. So it just, it was harmful in the moment, but it so has worked out. And 
I even was looking down at my tattoo when you were talking about giving love and compassion being the way to feel more enlightened or feel closer to God. I know this is cheesy, but I have a quote from Les Miserables on my arm, the musical (laughs) theater geek that I am. And it says, to love another person is to see the face of God. It's one of the like final Mm -hmm. lines saying in the show before they go into, do you hear the people sing? And it's so... It's so beautiful for so many reasons, but like part of the reason it's beautiful is because it's being sung by people who are deceased trying to connect with their their loved ones who are still alive saying like, keep doing what you're doing, keep loving the way you're loving because that is how you will see God. And I got it tattooed on my arm. And even though I, you know, I'm not in the church anymore and might not know how I feel even about the word of God, as we were saying earlier, I still love the quote because it is Mm -hmm. showing like... Just to feel whole and to feel connected with the world and the universe is that comes from when you when you love yeah. and when you give. And I just look I like it a lot. Me too. Anyway. That's all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Thank you so much as usual for tuning into our show. I don't know if we solved anything. What do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> I think we got to the bottom I of think it. We, actually. we cracked it. I think we cracked it. I'm pretty sure this these two episodes will be studied forever forever for and a long i think time. we solved world hunger somewhere in there too Me just too. go back and listen everybody it's fine except i'm starving and i can't wait to eat this pizza i'm about to cook in the oven Ooh! if everything has gone as planned in our lives that means you are listening to this on may 6th which means next week we should have a guest but you know life love the pursuit of we'll happiness see. we'll see where this journey <laughs> takes us <laughs> thank you all so much for being so cool with our major life transitions and our hiatuses. You really are the best fans a podcast could ever ask for, which is just one reason we'd love for you to follow us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And also join our Facebook group, Keep It Weird Podcast, because we get to share weird stuff with each other constantly and have discussions about all the things we talk about on this show. It's the best. Please consider donating to our Patreon if you haven't already. It's how we make the money to produce this show and supply you with free content for the past five and a half years. You can find that at www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast. And also buy and wear some of our merch by hitting up www.keepitweirdpodcast.com slash merch. That link will take you to our Tee Public store where you can pick from seven or eight can never remember how many different designs and get a t-shirt tank top hoodie jacket blanket pillow cover phone case tote bag or whatever your weird creepy little heart desires i get so many compliments on the tote just have to throw it out there like you need to be carrying that on your shoulder get it immediately honestly i need to get a tote i believe i ordered myself a tote and then i gave it to you like an idiot you gifted it to me, but honestly, I deserve it because you never got me a we copy of a, a signed copy. <laughs> she gave it to you guys, but so not sorry. to me. Anyway. For today's sign off, I'm going to leave you with a quote from Dr. Eben Alexander III, a neurosurgeon and author of the book Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife, in which he details one of his own NDEs along with many others. I truly was waiting for one of us to bring him up, so this is a great way to end. (laughs) Dr. Alexander says, Those who have had near-death experiences will tell you that the realm is far more real than this world. More crisp, vibrant, and alive. Hmm. Thank you all for listening. We hope you find love and God and peace 
And always keep, keep it, it weird. weird. Do you hear the, the people, people sing? sing. <laughs> <laughs>